Well, we're uh, continuing in our series on the Psalms, and uh, it's actually sort of the end of the summer. It's the end of the series. Uh, this is the last message on Psalms for the summer, and I hope that you have found it um, as profitable and applicable in your lives uh, as I have sort of reading through it and preparing these messages. And so now by way of sort of a short sort of summary of this entire series in the Psalms, and as a conclusion, we're looking at Psalm number 16. And it's a short psalm, and it was written again by King David, as, as many of our psalms have been that we've looked at. Not everyone, but many of them have been written by David. And, and the interesting thing about King David is that King David lived a life, as we've seen in the Psalms, he lived a life uh, full of the same kind of passions and filled with the same kind of troubles, not unlike our own lives. And so we can relate to Psalms, and we get the most out of the Psalms when we place ourselves in the life of the psalmist and place our own circumstances in their circumstance. And so certainly a great number of David's troubles were brought on by himself, and his troubles were brought on by his own sinful nature, just like our own troubles are brought on by ourselves and our sinful nature. And then other trials that David faced that we looked at were brought on by the sinful nature of those around him. We understand that we live in a fallen world and that our family and our friends and our colleagues and our co-workers are all as lost in sin as we are and they bring trouble upon us because of their sinful nature. And so we relate to David in that way too. But through all of his own sin and in the temptation to retaliate against others or to despair over troubles in his life, David is a man who went steadily onward. King David was a man after God's own heart. It could be said of him. David was a man who, despite all of these things, his own sin, the sins of others, the troubles, the despair that he was in, he walked steadily forward in his relationship with God. And in Psalm 16, we have from David a sort of summary of the type of life that he determined to live and the blessing that resulted from that determination. And so we ask ourselves as we read Psalm 16 or as you consider the life of David and the songs that he wrote, what does it take to be this sort of man or woman? What marks the life of a person that stays the course with God, that is able to rejoice as David does despite everything that David did and everything that David went through, still has the pleasure and joy to write the songs and the psalms that David wrote? What do these people think? What do they believe? How do they carry themselves in order to have the kind of faith that David had? Those are great questions, questions that we want answers to, I think, as Christians. To say, how do we, like David, when we sin like David, when we are sinned against like David, yet continue to walk forward steadfastly with God the way that he did? And in Psalm 16, it's a very short psalm, but it's a summary. In in brief, it tells us what it is. And you won't be surprised to learn it's the sort of summary of the themes that we have covered in other psalms, but tells us of the type of man that David was and the type of person that it is that continues on steadfastly with God in their life, despite everything that has taken place around them. Let me just pray before I read Psalm 16. Father God, we ask for your blessing on the reading of your word this morning and on our learning. We know that Spiritual things are hidden from those who don't have the Holy Spirit. And so we ask that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes and open our ears and especially our hearts and our minds so that we can perceive the things of the Spirit that you have for us and that they are good things. That if we order our life in this way as your servant David did, then there is blessing in store. And so teach us, Lord, through your word. 
In Christ's name, amen. Psalm 16, a mictum of David. And there's some discussion, as I mentioned, about what that word mictum means. That's just a transliteration of the Hebrew word into English letters. It literally is pronounced mictum. And it is a word that we don't really know exactly what it means. But a lot of people believe it is a teaching song. And so it's a song that David wrote in order to teach. And uh, this is his mictum. Preserve me, O God, for for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, and I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after other gods shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out, nor take their name on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. And therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So as I said, it's a very short psalm. It's a very brief song that David has written, and it's just sort of packed with the description of the type of person that remains steadfast with God. And so there are seven really quick lessons that I'm going to run through through this psalm in terms of the type of person and the character and how they think and set themselves in order to be a person who is steadfast and follows after God. And the first thing we see in verses 1 and 2 is that David confesses the Lord. It's a confession in verses 1 or 2 of our own weakness, of needing the preservation of God and seeking his refuge. It's confessing the right relationship of ourselves to God. He's God and we are not. David says, Lord, you are the Lord and I have no good apart from you. In order to make any progress forward with God, to even begin to take the first step with God, this is where your heart has to be. This has to be your heart attitude. It expresses itself first and perhaps most profoundly in that first initial repentance. For those of us that are Christians, we know that first step that we took when we realized that God is God and we're not. And that there is no good in us and any good is in Him. And that first sort of profound realization of that confession of who God is and who we are and getting ourselves in a right alignment, perhaps that lands on us most significantly and expresses itself most prominently there in our first confession, right? In us believing that we were somehow strong in ourselves, and we were resisting God, and we were rebelling against God, and we were refusing to acknowledge God as our Creator, and refusing to accept Him as our Lord, or recognize Him as our Father, and as the governor of our lives, and instead we wanted to govern our own lives. We believed ourselves capable of deciding what was good for us. We believed even ourselves that we were good in ourselves, that our morality would do just fine, and we refused to conform. That's the rebellion that we initially repented of as Christians. And it's the essence of our sin that we rebel against God and don't put Him in His proper place. And so the first sort of stage of our confession or of David's confession, our confession as Christians, is that we are weak and He is strong. We're not good. He is good. We're not God. He is God. And that starts us on a path of a relationship with God. But it's more than just the starting place. As David is writing this psalm much later in his relationship with God. 
It's more than just a starting place for us as Christians too. It really continues on day after day from there. To be a person who follows steadfastly after God, you constantly have this heart attitude that David starts his song with. If you're going to progress in your walk with God, this heart attitude cannot change. We have to stay in that moment, that reality of confession, that day by day it's a confession that God is God and we're not. That He's good and we're not. Not just the first time we come to God, but every day of our walk, if we're going to continue to walk and grow in God. It's a repeating acknowledgement of His Lordship and His governing of our life, that He's our Father, that He's our God, that He's our Lord. And over time, we can't allow our own self-righteousness or self-sufficiency or self-direction to take over. If we want to continue to walk forward steadily in our maturity and in intimacy with our relationship with God, then just like David, you have to hold on to this confessing attitude that he starts with this in the psalm. You could wake up in the morning, and this could be the first thing you say in the morning when you wake up. God, you're God, and I'm not. That's a good starting place. Now, what's the rest of the day go? That we start with this attitude of understanding where we stand in relationship to God. And then secondly, he starts with that confessing attitude. David goes on and he says he loves God's people. In verse 3, as for the saints in the land, they are excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Here's something we can take away from this. People who love God love his people. People who grow and move forward with God and in relationship with God do so in the community of God's people. It is very, very difficult. I would say it is even dishonest thing to say, to say, I love Jesus, but I don't much care for Jesus' people. I love Christ, but I don't really like Christians. You know? I love Jesus, but I don't love his bride, the church that he died for. If you love God, then you love those who God loves. And King David loved the congregation. He loved the throng. He talked about it in his Psalms, how he would go up with the throng, or he would go up with the congregation, and they would go up to the temple and worship together. And here he says the saints or the believers, they are excellent people. They share David's love for God and they worship with him and they repent with him and they rejoice with him and they fill him with delight. And if we are going to be a people and if you are going to be a Christian that follows after God and walks steadily forward with God, then you will not make it very far as a Christian alone. To be a Christian is to be part of the church, part of the body of Christ, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1 and in 1 Corinthians. Part of the temple of living stones being built up together, as Peter says in 1 Peter. All of Paul's letters speak to the unity and the fellowship and the mutual responsibility that believers have to one another. To encourage one another, to build one another up, to care for one another, to do good to one another, to bear the burdens of one another. And Jesus said that it's by our love for each other that the world will know he's our, that we are his disciples. And so one of the characteristics of those that walk steadily forward with God is that they love God's people. If you're stuck in your walk with God, if you don't feel like you're making much headway in your relationship with Him, perhaps it's because you're not delighting in His people. God did not intend for you to live out your Christian life alone, in isolation. The church was His idea. The church was His plan. And those that grow in their joy in God and in the blessing that we're about to see later in these verses in this psalm are those that take full advantage of the church, who love to be with other Christians, who love to worship together, who love to fellowship together, who love to have meals together, who get in small groups together, who have friends that they counsel and disciple with. David, as he walked forward in his life with God, loved God's people. They were excellent to him, and he loved to worship with them. 
And then thirdly, the other characteristic of David as he walks steadily forward with God is David rejects false God. In verse 4, he says, The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out nor take their names on my lips. And this was just last week, you remember, in Psalm 119. We looked at this in much more depth, in greater depth. The danger of counterfeit gods. The danger of dead idols. And David lays out here, not only does he confess his need for God's refuge, and not only that God is good, and the benefit of being among God's people, but here he says that he rejects the false idols and the counterfeit gods of the world. He won't participate in worshipping them. He won't speak or act by them. David knows what we have to learn. You cannot hope to grow closer in your walk with God while you're worshipping something in this world. To chase after anything else in the world is to run away from God. If you're chasing after sports or fame or the attention of others or money or security or even family, anything that you are chasing after from this world and centering your life upon is taking you away and farther from God. And you might look back over the last few months or the last few years and wonder why you've not grown any closer to God. And you think, why can't I be like King David? I mean, he was a sinner. He had his troubles and everything else. But man, King David, he just seemed to keep growing closer and closer to God. And this psalm gives us some of the answers. And one of the answers is David was a man who decided he was not going to take refuge or seek after any other God. He wasn't going to pour out their drink offerings. He wasn't going to take their name or their counsel on his lips. And so when you look back over your life, you can ask yourself, have I been putting something else ahead of God? Have I been chasing after something else? And maybe that's why I'm not growing the way David is growing. Maybe that's why I don't feel like I'm moving forward in my relationship with God. David knows that there's only sadness in that path. And so he says, no, I am not going to chase other gods. I'm not going to show honor to any idol of this world. The only name on my lips is the only God that I'm going to run after is the one true God. And then fourthly, David rests, and we need to rest in God's sovereignty. This is so important. One of the fundamental characteristics of a Christian, of a person who is growing closer and closer and going forward in their relationship with God the way David has, is their absolute trust and realization in the sovereignty of God. He says, The Lord is my portion and my cup. You hold my lot. You hold the results of my life. And we talk a lot about the sovereignty of God around here at Lakeside. We preach about the sovereignty of God. We pray about it during the congregational prayers. We talk about it with each other when we're giving counsel. We recognize it in every elders meeting that I can remember being here. That we pray and we acknowledge that God is in control. That it's God's church. That it's God's future. It's enshrined in the opening lines of Jesus' sample prayer to his disciples. Thy will be done. There's a good reason for that. All of the things Scripture speaks of, of all the things that Scripture speaks of, the completeness of God's control over all things is unmistakably present. All blessings, all disaster, all events, all history, all future is entirely in God's hands. And I could go through literally a thousand verses that speak to the sovereignty of God. You have got to get this if you're going to grow in your relationship with God. He is sovereign. He's in control. He holds your lot in life. 
From just last week in Psalm 115, you remember, he says, but our God is in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. Or in Job, Job 42, 2, he says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Or Proverbs 16, 4 says, the Lord works out everything to its proper end, even the wicked for a day of disaster. Everything is under God's control. He is sovereign over every single thing. And in his sovereignty, we who trust in him as Christians, we're meant to take comfort. Luke 12 says, Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered, and do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. We're supposed to take comfort, and should take comfort in the sovereignty of God. Or Romans 8.28, of course says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. You will not make it far in your walk without, with God without coming to terms with the all-encompassing reality of God's full control over all things. As Christians, we have got to understand this. God is sovereign. He is in control. And David realized this. He says his lot in life was God's. His past was in God's hands his future was in god's hands it is unsteady ground to try standing on to claim that you trust in god on one hand and then fret over your present circumstances or live in fear over the possible futures if you say that you are a person that trusts in god then you cannot be anxious about the present and you cannot be fearful about the future i mean we can feel fear but ultimately if we're going to move forward in our relationship with god we have to rely on trusting in him because he is sovereign over all things. When David was in the pit of his spiritual depression in Psalm 40, he remembered how God was faithful. Remember that sermon on Psalm 40? He remembered the faithfulness of God and that God had rescued him so many times before and that God would rescue him again. And he knew with a certainty that God would rescue him from the pit in Psalm 40. And when he was torn up inside over the betrayal of his close friend in Psalm 70, you remember he turned to God knowing that God had his future in his hands. So even this betrayal of a friend did not destroy David's peace because he knew that God was sovereign, even over the treachery of his friendship. That God is in control of everything. And the steady, joyful, peaceful, maturing believer has taken that to heart and leans fully into it. When you look at Christians around you, brothers and sisters around you, and you see how far they've made it in their relationship with God, and you're sort of envious of where they're at, they have that peace, and they have that joy, and they have that trust, and they have that confidence. This is where it comes from. They have learned this secret of David, that God is sovereign, and they can have absolute peace and joy and rest in that. They literally sleep well at night knowing that God is in control. And then fifthly, another characteristic of David is a man who is following after God and continuing steadfastly after God. The other characteristic of David is that he counts his blessings. In verse 6 it says, The lines, or the boundary lines is what that refers to, The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. So the, the idea there is, is kind of like your property lines, right? The boundary lines, uh, you know, City Hall is, you know, giving you a leeway or something and, and you end up, you have a little more boundary than you thought you had is kind of the idea there. David says, the boundary lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. I've actually got a blessing in what God has given me. It's simple but effective. When you find yourself stuck in your walk with God and you're not seeming to progress and you're not carrying on steadfastly with God and you're looking back and wondering why you're not maturing and wondering why you're not moving forward with God, probably you're struggling with God maybe. 
about why God has been absent or, or, or why he hasn't blessed you the way that he thought you should have blessed him and, and you don't seem to be content with your relationship with God. David here, he's just a man who counts his blessings. And so we can count our blessings. David can look at his life and say, there's a lot that has gone my way. I have my health or my security or my peace or peace in my nation or I have my family or, or maybe even the congregation or the church or the worship at the temple. Whatever it is, David is counting his blessings. And, and if you're going to be that type of person who moves forward steadfastly with God, you have to take the time to count your blessings. The fact that God has carried you this far and he has not failed you and he will carry you on and he will not fail you. That whatever it is that you might be wrestling and discontent with God about, if you're going to continue steadfastly in your relationship with God, is you just count your blessings. Just sit down like David has here and acknowledge that God has blessed us. Look at the country we live in. Look at the church that we have. Look at the family. Look at the wealth. Look at the security. God has blessed and he's provided more than we deserve and more than we can imagine. And so he is blessed and will continue to bless He's carried us so far, why would he stop now? David is a man who recognized the blessing of God. And then going on, just quickly, to get through this, there's so much, but David listens to the counsel of God. He says in verse 7, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. And in Psalm 119, we started out looking more closely at this. God desires to give us wisdom. God desires to guide us. And David knows this and blesses God for the wisdom and the counsel and the guidance that he's been given. So even here, as David has meditated on the word of God and dwelt under the law of God, and even in the middle of the night, his heart, full of God's word, can give him instruction. David can lie there at night and he can receive instruction as he communes with God because his heart and conscience is conformed to the word of God. And so again, when we consider the characteristic or the type of person that moves forward steadfastly with God the way King David did, if you want to make progress in your faith, if you want to move forward steadfastly in your relationship with God, then listen to his counsel. David was a king and a man who listened to the counsel of God. You're not meant to face the trials of your life or even the sin of your own flesh without God's wisdom and knowledge. Where is that counsel? Where is that wisdom? It's in His law and it's in His Scripture. It's in His Word. God wrote the Bible for you to have transforming knowledge. And so David meditated on the law and on the Scriptures so that he would have the wisdom of God. And his characteristic as a king, his characteristic as a man, despite his sin and the failings of his flesh and despite the troubles that surrounded him and the people that were after him, David here delights in and blesses the Lord who gives him counsel. He was a man who was rooted in the law and the scripture and the counsel of God. And so he could move steadfastly forward in his relationship with God. And then it goes on, another characteristic of David, this man who moved forward with God in his relationship. David set the course of his life towards God. He not only did all these other things, but he set the course of his life on God. He says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I shall not be shaken. And I sort of sped up to here on purpose because this is sort of the centerpiece of the psalm to me. This is where it all sort of comes together. All the other things are pieces of what verse 8 expresses. All the other things that David has talked about doing are really the result of him having first done this. And they all flow out of this reality in David's life. He has set the Lord before him. 
The purpose of David's life is to follow after God. And so if you want to be a person, if you want to be a Christian who is steadfast in their relationship with God, that despite your sin, despite your failings in the past and those that are to come, and despite the trials of the people and the situations around you, you want to have this type of relationship with God that King David had, this is the key right here. He set the Lord before him. And the best way that I came up with thinking of this is like a ship sailing on the ocean, right? If a ship sailing across the ocean, you, you set out from New York or wherever, or if you're going the other direction, you set out from England, and you are out there, and you are out of sight of land, and you've got the whole Atlantic to get across. If you are going to get where you're going on your ship, you have to set a course, and you have to stay on that course. You have to do what a navigator would do and set before them a star that didn't move or a star that they could trust the course of in the sky. And the navigators knew the stars that didn't move. Or they knew the star's course, and they knew the course of the star that they could trust through the night. And that's what David has done. It says David has set God always ahead of him. God is the star that David is navigating his life by. That he has set his course with God. God is the focus of his attention. God is the focus of his affection. God is the focus of his purpose. David's eyes are fixed on God and on nothing else. He will not be moved from the course that he has set to follow God. And so in order to set yourself on something, you have to, of course, determine to do it. In order to determine to do it, it requires forethought. right? To set yourself on something, you've got to think as a navigator, okay, I'm going to... I'm going to do this. I'm going to set my course on something. And then I've got to think about what am I going to set my course on? What star am I going to choose? And this is what David has done. He's considered the things that he could set his life on, and he's decided that God is the one that will be set before him. He said it's not going to be any other idol. It's not going to be any other thing. It's not going to be, I'm not going to pursue anything else. I have, David has made a conscious decision and shifted his will to say, I am going to set God before me. I'm going to set the Lord before me. He is going to be the focus of my life. It's an act of his will. And so Christians, I ask you, do you think that way? Do you think like King David thinks? Do you act that way? as David has thought and determined and acted? Have you come to the place in your life and in your relationship with God where you are just convinced that there is nothing else to set before you than God and then set God there and fix your life on Him? And don't waver, don't drift. Joshua challenged the people of Israel the same way. He said, as he was trying to lead them, he said, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. There is a determination in the people of God who follow steadfastly after a relationship with God and in, the, and in their knowledge of God that they have set God before them and they've determined this will be the navigation point of my life. It will be God that I am set on. And the problem of a ship that has set its destination is that it can begin to drift. And our spiritual lives can also drift. But if you would be like David, despite the setbacks of his own sin and the sin of others and all the things that were going on on that ocean, I mean, he took himself off course. He had waves knock him off course. You know, he got upset and capsized. But David had determined to steadfastly move forward with God as his guiding star. 
And you have to determine to set the Lord always before you and resist drifting. Wake up every day or confront every temptation or confront every challenge with the same resolution. I have set the Lord before me. He is the course of my life. I will not drift from the path that God has set me on. And having my life set with God before me, David says, I cannot be shaken. There is no better purpose in your life than to set the Lord before you and to pursue him. And then finally, David recognizes the rewarding results of that. He says in verses 9 through to 11, we'll just do them all at once. He says, therefore, therefore, because of these, all these things I sang about, this is how I've set my life up. You know, confessed and, and loving God's people and being at the temple worshiping and not chasing after other gods and acknowledging his sovereignty and counting my blessings and setting my life ahead of God because of all of those things. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or the grave or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life and in your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures evermore. Now this particular scripture is quoted three times in the New Testament in reference to Jesus. And so David, as he's writing here, he's writing, carried along by the Holy Spirit about himself and the direction of his own life, but he's also writing prophetically about the reality of the New Testament promise of of Jesus to come. That God is faithful. That he will not allow his Holy One to see corruption. That he will not allow his people to go into the grave and die. And so David finishes the psalm here describing the results of the course of action he's taken. He says, therefore, because I've confessed, because I take delight in God's people, because I reject the false idols, because I rest in God's sovereignty, because I count the blessings that God has poured out on me, because I take counsel in the Lord's wisdom and in the Lord's law and scripture, because I've set God before me as an act of my will and determination for my life to say this is the focus of my life and affections, therefore my heart is glad. And my whole being rejoices. I am not afraid even for my mortal flesh because I know that God will not abandon me even after death. David knows that God has revealed to him the right way to live his life and God's presence with him brings joy now and he has promised pleasure eternally in the presence of God. And so why Psalm 16 today to end the series? It's really because I could not think as I was sort of going through all the different psalms I could do, I couldn't think of a better encouragement to you or a better encouragement to me or to all of us. Because David here, in a few short verses, he summarizes the secret to his life with God. He basically spells out why it is he is a man after God's own heart. How it is that he pursued with all the stuff that was going on in his life. How it was that he could continue steadfastly in certainty and assurance and faithfulness in his relationship with God. This psalm describes how the characteristic of a man or a woman who keeps moving steadily forward with God and receiving the blessing of gladness and joy and assurance and the eternal security of, of eternity present with God. And so if you're here today and you're wondering where those things are, there's the list. Psalm 16 is your list. Psalm 16 describes to you And it works just as well in reverse order. If you set your life and you set your affections wholly on God and God is before you and then you listen to his counsel, then he knows that he knows the path of your life and you set your hope on his sovereignty. And if you count your blessings, 
And if you reject false idols, and if you take delight in His people, the church, and if you confess that you're not good and that He is, that He is your God, and you are not, if you do all of those things, you will be a person who follows steadfastly after God in your relationship with Him. You can do the list in whatever order you want. But this Psalm 16 is the description of a person who has a steadfast and lasting relationship with God. And it's imminently practical. David tells us exactly the type of man that he is and the things that he does that encourages his heart and that protects his relationship with God. You could just go over, I could just go over this list again and again and again. I can't encourage you enough. Learn from this. Call God God. Love God's people. Reject false idols. Count your blessings. Trust in his sovereignty. Set your heart and your affections and your life on God. And the joy and the blessing and the pleasure and the gladness is yours. God has incredible joy in store for you. God's desire for your heart is to be glad. And He wants you to know and be assured of your eternal pleasure in His presence forevermore. And He's laid it all out for you. And so for us, we just have to determine to be a man or a woman like David. To set God before us and not to drift off of that path. To put God first in our affection and follow Him. Let's pray. Father God, I thank You for this summer in the Psalms. I thank You for Your Word today. Thank You for its just its practicality that, that David in such a few short verses has just spelled out for us his character and his nature and who he is. And he just says, this is what I do. I just confess that you're God and, and I just love God's people and I just I reject all the other gods and I count my blessings and I put you first and I trust in your sovereignty. And this is just me, God. This, this type of guy I am. It's what I do. And, and you, God, you, you preserve my joy and you are steadfast in your relationship and, you, and I trust that I'm going to be with you forever and I don't even have to worry about death because you're God. And you've already taken care of it through your son, Jesus Christ. I mean, David had no idea how prophetically, I think, speaking he was. You know, and then, and then Paul says it twice, and Peter says it, that this is speaking of Jesus who is to come, that, that you would not allow your Holy One to go into the grave and be corrupted, but in fact you raised Jesus from the dead as a sign of your promise that his death on the cross has paid for our sins and that we can trust in you and that you have taken care of our sin and the sins of others. You've taken care of everything if we'll just set you first in our affections, if we'll just set you before us and conform our life to following you, that you'll be our north star, that you would be the sun at the center of our solar system, that we would revolve around you. And Father, as we do that, there is blessing for us. And so I pray this morning that we would take to heart the lessons in your psalms that we would conform ourselves like David after you, that we would grow steadfastly in our relationship with you, and that we would feel the pleasure and the joy of that relationship the way David did. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.